back in August of last year, 2015, many of you remember we had a day that we called We Are the Sermon Day. We spent the afternoon reaching out to the community, doing all sorts of service projects. We spread mulch at playgrounds and painted stuff in the community and sent cards to people and made blankets for the nursing home and there's other things I'm not even remembering. We had a long list of things and over 100 members of the Ninth Avenue family were involved in all kinds of service projects all throughout the community helping various people. We might think of a day like that as one where we, we strove to, to reach out. We tried to, to reach out to the community and, and tried to encourage others in ways that showed a heart of service. This day is more a day of reaching in. You see, there's nothing wrong with the congregation also thinking of the connections between members. There needs to be an emphasis on reaching out, evangelizing as well as just serving and, and being of a heart of a servant. But it's also a sense in which a congregation needs to reach within, to strive to encourage and foster and deepen relationships among members of the congregation. Some people think it's wrong if you have you know, friends who are closer than others in a congregation. I don't think that at all. It's only natural that we're going to have people, even within a church, who are closer than others. That's, that's fine. Maybe it's because simply we're the same age, or we went to high school together, or we have kids the same age, or maybe they play on the same ball team, or maybe we simply just sit close to one another at church, or maybe we go to the same Bible class, or whatever. There are going to be people that because of very natural things that we are closer to than others. That's fine. However, we should never become a place where we are so scattered as far as just my little group, your little group, that we never make an effort to reach out and try to encourage people all across the age spectrum, all across life experience spectrums, no matter where they might sit in the auditorium, no matter what Bible class they might go to, that's a very, very important part of what it means to be, as we sang a few minutes ago, a family of God. It's natural to have some people who are closer. But do I make an attempt to reach out to others who may not be the same age I am or the same season of life in which I find myself, or may not have the same type of job I do, or whatever it is, that's really what today is all about. Now, I fully understand that unity cannot be forced. You can't contrive unity. However, there can be things put in place to try to foster those relationships, to try to foster that, that natural, that organic growth that happens among are between God's people. It takes time, it takes certain circumstances, and it takes a willing heart. And so that said, a day like today is meant simply to, to foster those times, that, that allowance of time. After all, we are busy. I mean, we are crazy busy. I told somebody not long ago, they were asking me about what I was doing that day, and I said, I don't even know what all I'm doing because I looked up and looked at my own to-do list and slapped myself in the face. Because sometimes we, we simply, from the moment we get up to the moment we go to bed, which sometimes aren't that far apart from the time we go to bed to the time we get up anyway, we have stuff going on constantly. And sometimes, because of that, focused time, striving to reach across to my brothers and sisters in Christ, can get pushed to the sideline. Today is all about taking a little while and simply getting to know one another better, to be more unified, to love one another a little more, and to love people that maybe 
I don't hang out with as much as we usually do. And so to do that this morning, we're going to think about the word fellowship. Now, that word fellowship is sometimes narrowed down so much in the church world that it becomes synonymous with nothing more than a potluck. When we think of the word fellowship, all we think of is this. We're going to have a fellowship. What's that mean? Bring the casserole, right? That, that's, that's what it means. When we talk about fellowship, we talk about we're going to have, you know, baked potatoes and stuff or mashed potatoes or whatever, and that's fine. But here's the problem. If we so narrowly define the word as nothing more than a potluck, we've really missed what the word means. That's why we usually use the word as an adjective, a fellowship meal or a fellowship potluck, because the fellowship is not the food. The fellowship isn't the deviled eggs, folks. Okay, I'm sorry. The fellowship is what happens around that, that food. And so we're calling our lesson this morning, Why Fellowship is More Than a Potluck. And to think about that this morning, I want you to turn back in your Bible to that text we read a little while ago in Acts chapter 2. Because in the last handful of verses of Acts chapter 2, you see the word fellowship used. And I think what you find when when we consider this passage is what the word really means and then also how we can live it out on a daily basis. Yes, we need to live it out on the Lord's Day. Yes, we need to live it out on special days like today. But folks, this is a concept that if we really put deeply in our souls and really put deeply into the lives of the life of this congregation, it would transform a congregation overnight. Because true fellowship is the very lifeblood of a congregation when we understand what the word really means. And so we're going to think of two things this morning. We're going to spend a few minutes... Maybe doing something you might think of as a little bit technical. We're going to think about the word that's translated as fellowship and what it means. And then we're going to get practical. And think about how the early church lived that out and how we can live it out as well. The word that's translated fellowship in Acts 2 and verse 42 is the word koinonia. And that may be a word, if you've grown up in the church, you may have heard that word used before. Because it's a very famous Greek word. What's interesting is, it's not famous because it's found a zillion times in the New Testament. Not at all. Instead, it's only found 20 times. Just 20. Twelve of them in the King James Bible, it's translated as fellowship, including here in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. We're told the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to fellowship, there's the word, to breaking of bread, and to prayers. Eleven other times in the New Testament, you find the same word, translated as fellowship. But what's interesting is to consider how else this very same word is translated. By doing this, I think we can get a sense of at least some of the shades of what the meaning of this word is. It is a deep and a rich word. Some of you may be familiar with the name Jimmy Jividen. He He's a brother in Christ who several years ago wrote a book, and I believe it's about 120 pages long. The whole book is on this one word. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to read it to you because we have activities planned for the afternoon. But I simply tell you that to tell you that's how deep and how rich this one word really is. I'm, I'm going to fall way short this morning of explaining to any of us just how powerful this word is. But to help us with that, think of some ways that where else this word is found in the New Testament, some other ways it's translated. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 26, The Apostle Paul said, For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. The word contribution at verse is the word koinonia. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul is writing about the Lord's Supper. And in that context, he says in verse 16, the, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not participation with the blood of, in the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Both times, the word participation is found in that verse. It is from the word koinonia. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 4 is a very short verse, but it also contains our word where Paul says, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. The context being that of giving or the contribution. That phrase, taking part or taking part in, is the same word. In the book of Philippians chapter 1 and verse 5, Paul thanks God, among other things, for the partnership in the gospel that the congregation there at Philippi was providing. Partnership is our word. And one more, also from the book of Philippians, chapter 3 and verse 10, Paul said that I may know Him, that is Christ, and the power of His resurrection, and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. The word share in that verse is our word. Now that's tedious, I know. And you may have tried to turn some of the verses that may have gone too quickly. But simply look at that list. Besides fellowship 12 times, here are some other ways that very same word is translated. Contribution, participation, taking part, partnership, share or sharing in. All of those come from the very same word, koinonia. You may think, well, what's the point? Well, you get different shades of meaning there. With those in mind, I want you to see what the word actually means. If you were to look it up in some dictionary or lexicon or whatever, some of these are very generic. Some are not generic at all. The word can mean things like this. Fellowship, obviously. Association, that's not a very deep word. That's a pretty generic word. Community, that's a little deeper word if you think about it. Joint participation in something. A gift that you jointly contribute to. A collection. Now, those are pretty generic to a point. But the word can also mean exhibiting an embodiment of something. Remember when we looked a moment ago at the verse from 1 Corinthians where Paul was writing about the Lord's Supper? The cup that we partake, is it not, let's put the word, exhibiting the embodiment of the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not, exhibiting the embodiment of the body of Christ. That's the very same word. It also carries with it the idea even of intimacy, close relationship, being one with one another. It's it's a powerful word. And again, I'm going to fall far short of really getting across just how deep this is. But folks, this is what the early church devoted themselves to, to fellowship, to contribution and community, but also to embodying, excuse me, exhibiting the embodiment of something. What were they exhibiting the embodiment of? The unity of Christ's body. When people looked at the early church, they saw oneness that could not be described any other way than by a word like koinonia, fellowship. They saw an intimacy That's not just a passing glance or a passing wave as you go along the street. It's something that can only be described by koinonia. Maybe to drive it home even more, I want you to think about this. In the New Testament, we are even told that we are to have fellowship with the Godhead. 
with all three members of the Godhead, all three members of the, of the Trinity, if you please. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 3, we're told we have fellowship with God and with His Son, Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9, we are called into fellowship with the Son, Jesus Christ. The book of 2 Corinthians ends in chapter 13 verse 14 by saying, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now consider that just for a second. How many of us want to just have a surface level knowledge of God? I certainly don't. I want to know God a whole lot more deeply than that, don't you? I don't want my relationship with God to just be some passing relationship, some casual thing, something I can kind of pick it up at some point and leave it at some point. You know, sometimes we talk, especially to young people, about the idea that our relationship with God is not something we only do on Sunday, and then we just leave it there, and we go to school and do our activities, and we pick it back up on Sunday and put it on again. And Sometimes all of us need that reminder that I want to know God so deeply that it never leaves me. And these verses remind us that that's our relationship with all, with each of the members of the Trinity. With God the Father, with God the Son, with God the Holy Spirit. That's the level of relationship that the New Testament, well, it's what it calls us to. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7, John said, If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of His Son, Jesus, cleanses us from all sin. If we are walking in the light, put these things together. If we are walking in the light, then we should strive for the same community, the same intimacy, the same fellowship, the same koinonia with each other that we strive to have with God. That's how deep this is. That's how important this is. And it's not optional. Did you, I didn't put the full verse up here, but did you hear the verse, if we walk in the light, this is true. What's implied in that? If I don't have this kind of fellowship, I'm not walking in the light. Sometimes when we study that verse, we jump only to the second part of it, that the blood of His Son Jesus cleanses us from sin. And I love, that's one of the greatest promises in Scripture, if you ask me, that if I'm walking in the light, the blood of Jesus continually cleanses me from sin because I'm going to sin from time to time. It's it's regular. I don't want to, but I'm going to. I'm human. But the first promise that is, if you walk in the light, this is the kind of fellowship you have, not just with a little group, not just with my little people, but with one another implied if i don't have that kind of fellowship i'm not walking in the light that's what today is all about it's about offering an opportunity to foster those relationships i didn't put this reference on the screens i don't think i put it on the handout either but as a, a negative illustration of this when you consider the fact that we sometimes describe church discipline as withdrawing fellowship And do you remember how deep that is? How intimate that is? That the Apostle Paul tells the church in 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 11 that if someone has been withdrawn from, you're not even to eat with that person. This is not just some passing glance. This is not someone who just waves at me across the auditorium and goes, oh, we're good. They waved at me. This is striving to know my brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Now, before we get to the practical side of this, let me sort of change gears for a second and say something I feel like needs to be said. I've talked with people, you've talked with people before. Maybe they move into this area or whatever, and they're looking for a church home, and, and they come here, and I don't know how many people we've got here. It's one, a couple hundred or so, and they go, whew, I'm not too sure about that. Because if I went there, I couldn't know everybody. You ever heard that one? I have. I've never heard anyone actually say the words, but I've heard people very strongly imply that they don't even really want the church to get any bigger. Because if it did, I couldn't know people. Folks, that's frightening to me. Those people would have had a major problem in Acts chapter 2. There were 3,000 people baptized the first day. And I don't see Peter going, well, we baptized 200. We're not going to baptize anymore because they can't know anybody. Really? This would be a problem. It is okay if I have people that I'm closer to in the Lord's church. That's okay because of life, as we mentioned a few minutes ago, seasons of life or whatever. But I don't care how large the church gets. I may never know every person to the same intimate level, but I should always strive to. I should always work at it. That should always be my desire. Folks, if 500 people showed up here you know, in a few minutes and said, you know what, we, we, we decided we were reading the Bible this week, and we decided, you know what, we know what the Bible says now. You've got to be baptized in order to be saved. We'd like to be baptized, and we'd like to, to be considered a member here. Are we going to go, sorry, I couldn't know you? Is that how we're going to respond? No. The effort should always be fellowship with one another. How does that happen? Let's get out of the technical and get to the practical. Let's think about the fact of how we can live this out every day. In verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, the phrase devoted themselves is so valuable here. They devoted themselves. The old King James has continued steadfastly. My opinion, that's a better translation. Because the word here that's translated devoted, literally means steadfastness toward something. And that implies two things. One, it implies work, but it also implies consistent work. But it also implies that they weren't perfect at it at first. Steadfastness toward something. Do you think they understood all the apostles' doctrine on day one? No. So they steadfastly worked toward understand the apostles' doctrine. But the same is true when it comes to fellowship or koinonia. They weren't perfect at it on day one. But they continually, steadfastly worked toward having that kind of fellowship one with another. It was a consistent, constant, regular effort. But it was effort. And so for the remainder of our time, I want to just be practical. Let's just think, how could we live this out? Not just today, not just on the Lord's day, but every day. And as it always does, the Bible always gives us the best answers, and they're found in this very same context. Because in the final verses of Acts chapter 2, Luke gives us how the church was living its everyday life. He doesn't leave it up to our guesswork. Beginning of verse 44, we're going to make a very simple list of four things. Four things that they were doing that showed this koinonia daily. And there are four things that we can continue to do. In fact, I believe we must continue to do if we're going to distribute, uh, display this to the world. Number one, they were together. And you go, boy, I'm glad I came to church to learn that. 
How long did it take you to figure that one out, Adam, if they were together? But I want you to notice a little word that's found in verse 44. It tells us, all who believed were together. Now, I don't think that means that no one ever got sick. I don't think that means that that every single Sunday, or every time someone said, I'd like to have somebody over for a meal, that the whole church showed up. But I think what it's trying to get us to see is that every member of the Lord's church interacted with every other member of the Lord's church as much as they possibly could. All were together. They didn't just have my little group. They continually interacted with each other. This is as obvious as the day is long, but it needs to be said, we cannot deepen our relationships with one another if we're never around one another. We have to be with each other. We have to spend time. Devote that time. It's not wrong to have friends who are not members of the Lord's church. It's not wrong to to go to ball games or go hunting with somebody or go shopping with somebody or whatever. But just ask yourself, how much time do you spend deepening your relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Because there is an outcome to this we're going to get to in a minute that if we didn't think about this in context may surprise us, but it shouldn't. But they were together. Number two, they took care of each other. The end of verse 44 all the way through verse 45 talks about how the church saw the needs of each other. They were even willing to sell things and give the proceeds to, to those who were in need. Now, some have suggested that what this means is the early church basically was a socialist group. That's not, exact, that's not at all what Luke is trying to get across. What, what Luke is trying to get across is the compassionate heart. When they saw a need, I, I don't see this, this bowl in my house, or I don't see this, this animal that, that we have out here. I don't see it as mine. I, I see it as something I can, I can sell and give the proceeds to someone who really needs the, the financial proceeds right now because they're sick or because they just had a child or because they lost whatever the situation was. They continually did those kinds of things. Today, most, maybe not all, but most have things like insurance and others, but there are still consistent needs. There's still regular needs, obviously, of prayer. There are regular needs of encouragement through cards and calls. There are needs of visits from time to time. There are needs of food when someone has lost a loved one or is sick and those sorts of things. Sometimes there are financial needs because even though we have insurance or whatever, sometimes the strain is real. Do I see my stuff as mine? Or do I see it as a way to bless others? Because that person is a part of community. That person exhibits the, exhibits the embodiment of the oneness of Christ. And I want to display that. They took care of each other. Number three, they also worshipped and studied together. Verse 46 tells us that they met in the temple Day by day. I don't think that means they had a worship service every single day. I don't think it was an ongoing every night gospel meeting necessarily. But I think what it's telling us is that they continually, each day, some people came to the temple to study the Scriptures together. And remember, we're still in Acts chapter 2. All of these individuals had been Jewish. And so it was natural for them to come to the temple to try to convert others to this newfound faith in Jesus Christ. But they were continually coming to the temple to worship, to study, to consider the Scriptures, to make sure of what they believed, and so forth. 
We sometimes separate out things like worship and things like fellowship. They're exactly the same. Because when we are worshiping together, when you in a Bible class are studying the Bible together, you are naturally growing closer together. It's difficult to sit through a Bible class, especially maybe you've been going to the same Bible class for decades. It's difficult to sit in that class and study the Word of God together and not be drawn closer to those you're studying with. Because you're connecting with God as you connect with one another. We think about things like a Bible class or a gospel meeting or a vacation Bible school and those things that, that we love around here and we support from around here. That, that's wonderful. But some, I want you to think of it this way sometimes. Don't just think of it as a way that I can come and I can deepen my knowledge of God's Word. That's certainly part of it. But also think of it as a way that we come and we deepen our knowledge of God's Word and in so doing, we grow closer together. They worshiped and they studied together. And number four, they also visited one another. I love that the text tells us they were in the temple, but also they were together in their homes day by day. There was a level of hospitality that was present in the early church that I think needs to be reborn in the church today. Now, I know we live in a different culture, different time. They couldn't take, they couldn't take their brothers and sisters in Christ out to ye old Starbucks, okay? They couldn't run down to, to, to McDonald's to, to grab a hand. I understand those things. We have a different culture. But I also don't see anywhere in this text where it says they had someone into their house when it looked like the front of a magazine. Do you see that? For one thing, there weren't magazines, okay? But you get the point. There was simply a level of interaction. It doesn't have to be in the house, so that's, that's fine. It could be going to a restaurant together. It could be going to, to a game together or go hunting and fishing together or, or going shopping. Please don't ask me to go shopping. But it could be going, going shopping together. Whatever it was, they were visiting with one another. They were showing hospitality to one another. The best way to get to know someone to use the biblical term, is to break bread with them. To spend time over a meal. And to converse at that time. That's fellowship. But again, notice the phrase we've left on the screens through all these four points. They devoted themselves to these things. It wasn't easy all the time. It took work. It was a continually <clears throat> steadfast effort. Now, quickly make note of the fact that when others looked at this, they didn't see some kind of cult. Oh, all they care about is each other. They don't love anybody else. Instead, did you notice verse 47 that we read tells us the exact opposite? They weren't seen as a cult. What were they seen as? They had favor with all the people. How does that work? They had favor with all the people. Well, I'm certain they were welcoming to outsiders and to non-believers. I'm certain they loved them. I'm certain they helped them as well. But it's interesting to me that you also have the outcome here that once people saw that, how does the chapter end? The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They had favor with outsiders. They cared. They loved them. But they were so close. They were so close-knit. 
They were so united. Koinonia was running so true through these people that others wanted what they had. And so the Lord added to the church every single day people who, yes, knew the message of Christ. That's primary. But who also secondarily said that makes such a difference in their lives that these people never leave each other's side. They are constantly together. I want that. You want to tell me our world is not looking for the same thing today. Why do we spend 56 hours a day on Facebook? I know there's only 24. I get it. Okay. It's not because I just want to see neat stuff. Folks, our world spends so much time on things like Facebook, and our world spends so much time just going out and about because people are looking for a connection. And when the church understands that if we will love each other, love every other person to this level, people will want what we have. Isn't that exactly what Jesus said? By this will all people know that you are my disciples. If your sermons are 45 minutes of the greatest exposition you've ever heard. That's not what he said. By this will all people know that you are my disciples. If you have the most beautiful campus in the entire city. That's not what he said. By this will all people know that you are my disciples. If you have love one for another. Literally. If you agape one another, put each other first, think of others, and consider their needs. Jesus said it would happen. And when the apostles made that part of their doctrine, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the apostles' doctrine. And then when the people began to understand that this is fellowship, this is koinonia, this is intimacy, this is exhibiting the embodiment of something, this is community, this is association, this is participation, this is joint partnership. When the church understood that, what Jesus said is exactly what happened. But did you notice, Jesus did not say, if you have love for just a handful. If you have love, one, four, another. That's what today's all about. And I've lost my voice talking. I'm so excited. I can barely talk. So I won't be playing basketball this afternoon I can't call for the ball. It'd be awful. It'd be terrible. Okay. What about today? It's about drawing closer, yes. But it's about drawing closer so others will be drawn in as well. I know there are some who can't be involved in the activities this afternoon. I know we've got people who have decorations today. There's, there's a bridal shower today. There's people who have to work this afternoon. My own family, my wife has to go to a funeral this afternoon. She had a, a loss in her family. We understand those kinds of things, okay? That's one of the reasons, by the way, we plan follow-up activities Tuesday night and, and Thursday night. And by the way, after the announcements today, if you don't go to Barry Hill's house Tuesday night, it sounds like it's going to kill us or something. I don't know. But no, we're looking forward to it. I'm glad you've been working on that. We're excited about it. But that's one of the reasons we plan follow-up things. We understand not everybody can be at everything all the time. But this is not an afternoon to go sit in the Lazy Boy. You can get your nap some other day. This is a day of koinonia. This is a day of fellowship. And this is a day where we see that we, listen to me, folks, we have a great church family. Amen? And it's time to show that.
but it's time for me to reach out to some others. Maybe I just hadn't talked to in a while. Or maybe I just don't get around to that part of the auditorium all that much. Or maybe they're not my age. Or maybe they like things that I think are a little weird or something. But that's all right. Because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And the same blood that saved me saved them. Today is about helping each other go to heaven so that others will go to heaven as well. You see, fellowship is really the lifeblood of a congregation. When we understand that it's more than just making some fried chicken and meeting together, although that's wonderful. Don't, don't, don't stop bringing the fried chicken. It's good. That's wonderful. It's more than just the cookout we're going to have. Not all that. That's great. It's also more than just a Sunday. It's more than just a special activity. It is a daily devotion. It is a daily effort to say every other person who calls this place home is part of my family and I'm going to do everything I can to reach into their lives and deepen those relationships because, folks, we're going to be in heaven together and I want to know you before we go there, don't you? I want to spend eternity with you. I want to spend eternity with every one of you. And that's what today's all about. This morning, are you a member of that family? Of that community? Of that participation that Jesus purchased with His own blood? We call it the church. And He said if you would contact that blood in the waters of baptism, being immersed in water, that your sins would be washed away, but also you'd be part of the family. You'd be a Christian a brother or a sister in Christ. We'd love nothing more this morning than for someone to make that decision. But if you're a part of that family this morning, maybe you just haven't been living like it. Maybe, you, maybe you've been kind of closed off and cold, or maybe you just simply have been struggling in your Christian walk. This morning is a great time to make sure that you're living the way Christ would have you to live. And maybe you just simply want to come forward this morning and say, it's not necessarily sin, but I'm just struggling. And I need my family to pray with me and to encourage me. Folks, we don't start our activities until 2 o'clock this afternoon. We've got plenty of time to pray. We've got plenty of time to encourage. We've got plenty of time to shake hands. We've got plenty of time to give hugs. And I for sure know we've got plenty of time to immerse someone in Christ if that's necessary this morning. And so this morning, if you need to become a Christian, if you need to join in that fellowship, that koinonia with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit that joins you in that koinonia, that fellowship with one another, Or if you need to return to that fellowship, make that decision right now while we stand and sing to encourage you.